Okay, you all know about like big things in life, like the big events, right? You, you, you go to those, attend those. Um, I just came back from Texas. It was a big event for my, my niece. She, she had her birthday and I, I got to be there for a class, but it just happened to be my niece's birthday and it happened to be she was coming back from college. And it, it was special to her, like, oh, Uncle Mike is here. It was kind of a surprise. Yay, didn't expect to see us, you know, because we're in Maryland and they're in Texas. Uh, you know those things, those events, those big ones that we celebrate, right? The weddings, the anniversaries, sadly, sometimes the funerals. And many of us, we almost see only certain family members at those times. And it just somehow feels like in this world that we live in, we've been sort of pulled apart, moved away, and we don't always get to see everybody as much as we feel like we need to and ought to and should. Well, today we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see how he made and prioritized some of his time to be in people's lives at just the right times so that God could do what God could only do in him and through him and how he wants to work through us. Let's look at John chapter 2. We've been looking at the Gospel of John uh, and moving through these stories. In John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Okay, great. You know, everybody wants a special guest at your wedding, right? I mean, I don't know who you would invite, but I, I think, okay, Jesus, well, that would be a great person to invite. But you had to bring his whole crew of disciples. I don't know how much it was for them per person at the meal. Sometimes, you know, you, know, you kind of go through those uh, evaluations when you're having a wedding. Okay, do, are they really that close of a friend? Because that's another $25 uh, head. I, I, I don't know if you have to evaluate that, but sometimes I feel like I have to do that. Okay. Jesus and his disciples get invited. What do they do? Look at verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to them, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone jars used for ceremonial washing, uh, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants, of course, who drew the water, they knew. So he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everybody brings out the choice wine, the best wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. Verse, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's stop there for a second. What happened, right, in this story? It, it, it's interesting, right? There's some confusing moments. I hear, I mean, obviously, here's the one. If anyone's done any sort of, like, event-type planning, any kind of things that you've been in charge of, getting all the food and all the beverages and all, anybody do these kinds of things? They stress me out to no end, right? Because you don't want to overbuy. Because who wants, like, Rachel and I do the things we call it. And I, you think we've done it right, but, I mean, how many meatballs do we have? We'll throw them we kind of miscalculated, and there was a whole lot of spaghetti. I don't know what we did with all of that. But you don't want to get too much, but you definitely don't want to get too little, right? You don't want people going, oh, oh, oh sorry, all we have left is a, well, here, here's a tomato with lettuce. 
moment for this family, this embarrassing moment for this bride and this groom and their family. You didn't get enough wine. You didn't have enough to celebrate what was going on. At this point, it's interesting to me that it wasn't Jesus who moved first, but Jesus who moved. What does that tell us about that relationship between Jesus and his mother? What did she already begin to see? She heard the prophecies from the angel. We're not hearing you. Oh. Now we're hearing me. Sometimes you make the error of not like uh, putting on the microphones or something like that. Okay. I, it's the same kind of feeling of embarrassment. The same kind of feeling. Okay. Right here applicable to me today. Okay. Um, where was I? Too much, too much food? Too little food? Why did she involve, why did her mother, why did Jesus' mother know to involve him? She had already heard the prophecies about who he was. But she had to have seen Jesus. She had to have known he could do something. If anyone could answer the problem, it would have been her son. Because he, and he alone, is the provision of God. Not only for the salvation of the world, but in every day, in everyday life. There was that intimate relationship with him that a mother has with a son. But truthfully, that's not always the case, right? It says something about the relationship between Jesus and his mother. They had spent that time together that she understood his heart. She understood who he was. And even though she knew that it probably wasn't the time he was revealing himself as the Messiah to Israel, she goes ahead and says, well, I know it's not the right time, but <clears throat> come on, Jesus. I know you. I know you care. I know this is important to this family. This is important, and this is important to me. And so Jesus, in a way only Jesus can do, and say, look, servants get involved. Go fill these jars with water. That's got something to say to us. It's got something to say to us as servants of Jesus Christ. We don't have to have all of the answers. You realize that? We don't have to have all the best plans. We don't have to do everything perfectly right. And when it comes to this church, Valley Baptist Church, that's going through this revitalization time, where we're praying that God would send new people, that God would begin to move in hearts, that God would change a, a, a nation beginning in this community with this people, we don't always have to have the best plans. We just need to know the guy who does. We just need to know a Savior, a Jesus, who can say, yeah, here's what you need to do. Go fill these jars with water. I don't know how that's going to work, because... People didn't really want water, water. <clears throat> it, but Jesus had a plan. We're going to see in John, if you continue to read, he's always got a plan. He's always got a solution because he is the solution. Notice what it says in verse 11. This was the first of the miraculous signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This wedding, this simply, we were just going to celebrate. We were just going to congratulate. We were just going to be part of a regular family and friends kind of event. One of those ones that's like, do we have to dress up? I mean, are we supposed to wear the, okay, yeah, all right. We're supposed to dress up. Let's dress up. I didn't really want to because it was a Saturday, but okay, fine. You know, let's go ahead and go. I hope the food is good because the food better be good. If the food's not good, I mean, I'm going to be, <laughs> I don't want, I think, can, when, what time, when can we leave? How long do we have to stay before we're not being impolite? Can we, you know all the questions that go through your heads at a wedding. And yet at this wedding, it was actually an opportunity for people to see Jesus. It was actually an opportunity for Sim to see God's glory. Do you go into those daily, not maybe daily, do you go into those routine family 
friend type of event with the expectation that God wants to so reveal his glory through your life, your attitude, your actions, how you are generous, how you are loving, or are you just trying to see how fast can I get to the door? God speaks at funerals when people are grieving. God speaks when children are born and at, at those moments. God speaks at wedding celebrations when there's this expectation about new family and about new life. And, and, and these times, those are moments when God can use us to be that encouragement, to be that blessing, to take time to just stop and like, hey, we're going to pray for your home. We're going to pray for this child. Don't just say, oh, oh, look at what a pretty baby. Babies aren't pretty. I'm sorry. Um, don't, don't lie. Take that opportunity to pray and pray for the child. And pray. Maybe your, I mean, your, your child is cute. I'm sure it's wonderful. Um, But instead, take that opportunity to reveal God's glory. Share a scripture. Be an instrument that God can use in the lives of others. Do you see what it said there in verse 12? Well, you haven't seen it yet. Look at verse 12. After this, after the wedding, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there stayed for a few days. Now, I don't believe that any verse of scripture is in the Bible for just like filler space. I mean, for one, I mean, they're having to write this thing by hand and, you know, that's not fun. And uh, on, on parchment and on, on papyrus, that's not fun. Um, it, it, they didn't just have these words in there for no reason. I think there was a purpose in these words. And it's to show us that sometimes we need to take some time. We need to take some time. I just got back uh, yesterday from Texas. Um, I had, I'm taking a class uh, back there on church revitalization. Wow, that's convenient. Um, and it just kind of popped up, and, and it's actually been very, very good. Um, I was, but this last class was just give our project reports, and I'm thinking, I could just zoom in, present mine, and then if everybody else gets boring, I can, like, you know, hide my camera, right? You know, hide my face. I've learned that from my students, by the way, when they were all online. I can just hide, and I can be doing something else and, and keep myself occupied. Why do I have to go all the way to Texas just to represent my, my presentation and let other people present theirs? And, you know, it's... But, of course, in God and His grace, that's where my family lives, right? That's where my wife's parents live. That's where... And God orchestrated me to be there at a certain time to be a blessing to my parents, to be a blessing to my wife's parents, to see my niece, to see my other niece, to be an encouragement to them. This was not just about me getting my class credit. This was about me being part of their lives. Jesus took time with his mother and brothers. And what we don't, what we see later in the Gospels is that his mother and brothers kind of question him. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're not doing it right. And his brothers actually seem to be guys that, that sort of challenge Jesus. Are you doing it correctly? But later in the book of Acts and later in the New Testament, we have books in the New Testament written by these half-brothers of Jesus, written by James, written by Jude. Jesus took the time with his brothers, and his brothers would ultimately become the leaders that God had called them to be. How is God using you in the lives of your family? How are you praying daily for, and I know some of you are because you've told me and you've shared these things about about children and grandchildren, and and, and you are praying for them. God wants to use us in the lives of our family, but it's really hard when we're just not there. It's really hard when everything else takes priority. It's really hard when when we prioritize other things. I had mentioned to somebody this morning, I think it was Hirsch and I were talking about that old song, Cat in the Cradle. Anybody remember that one? And the silver spoon? I think that still brings my dad to tears every time. 
<laughs> because I think I'm that son that's like, yeah, dad, I'll see you soon. But right now I'm doing church. Right now I've got a mission trip. Right now I've got, and, and I'll see you, dad. But sometimes dad wasn't always able to be there either. Now that doesn't mean that we make our children the center of the universe, because actually that can be detrimental too. It's good for us to show our children other priorities, but it is good for us to be in people's lives at those key moments, taking regular time, taking extended time, making sure that everybody else doesn't get our attention besides our families. I'm pretty confessional, and one of the ones that wasn't always one of my best moments was when my wife said to me, she said, you know, everybody else gets sort of positive, happy, Michael. And, and I sort of get the one that's sort of like um, depressed and discouraged. Don't we do that? Aren't we almost our worst selves around our, our families and parents? Aren't we most negative around them? Aren't we the most fussy or gripey about sometimes around them? Shouldn't our families sometimes get our best? I don't know. That's one that's convicted me a lot lately. Well, let's think of some points that we're going to take away from this. The master disciple maker, what did Jesus teach us? Well, he, told, he taught us that really it's important that we prioritize some big life events with family and friends because God can use those. But did you notice this? He didn't say no to his mom. There was a problem that he could help with. There was something that he could deal with. There was something that he could solve, and he helped out. He stepped up. It wasn't like, well, boy, that's going to go badly. (laughs) Instead, he took on somebody else's problems, somebody else's difficulties in the church and in our families. Sometimes we need to step in and help where we can. And finally, he revealed the glory of Jesus. He revealed the glory of himself. For us, we have that ability. Now, I'm going to talk to you for a second about a disciple-making church. Here's a mistake we make. Here's a mistake we make. We think that the only way we make disciples is through our time here at church, like in the worship service, in Bible study, something like that. But here's the deal. It's that one-on-one regular and even special event time that God so often uses. For me, the priority has always been to pick two or three people at least every semester that I spend one-on-one time with. Hey, let's go get a coffee and let's go over scripture and let's pray together. If we're going to be a disciple-making church, we have to, like Jesus did with his mother and brothers, take that regular and extended time to be in people's lives to be in people's lives. That's where the glory is revealed. There's there's a phrase that for discipleship, for helping people grow in their walk with God that made a big difference in me when I was a young college student. It said, look, there is no program but time and no book but the Bible. We don't have to do every discipleship book or series or special. We need to go through so people will know God's word and know scripture and know him. That's why I love teaching New Testament at Stevenson because people don't know. They might know all kinds of Bible study books, but they don't know the Bible. And so it's like, let's spend time going through scripture. No book but the Bible and no program but time. Not, oh, we're going to do this children's thing or this youth thing, but sometimes it's just some time with people. No method but time. Sometimes I program time. Either one. How are you doing with your friends? Making disciples, spending time, allowing God to use you. Well, there's one other part of this chapter too that I want us to highlight. Look at the rest of the story. Verse 13. 
When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, that's the big celebration around Easter where they're memorializing and remembering how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and ultimately to the promised land. It took a while, 40 years, but, it took the, but brought them out of that land of slavery, gave them the law of God. It was that Passover experience where they're celebrating. It says Jesus went up to Jerusalem, the big feast days, and what did he do? Well, in the temple courts, he found the people there the big temple, the temple, not like one of the smaller little synagogues, the temple, people were selling cattle, sheep, doves. Others were sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove them from the temple, both sheep, cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, some of you are thinking, wait, 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 what in the world was going on here? Why in the world? Oh, I know, I know, I know. This is must People weren't going to church anymore, and the church had become a market. The temple had just become... That is not true. That is not true. Um, now, that's true in our world today. In fact, um, I've made several trips to Montreal. Montreal used to be one of the most religious places in the world. Um, everybody was basically Roman Catholic, and there were many beautiful cathedrals. But then in the 70s, there was sort of a revolution against the church. And like people just left the church in large numbers, huge reaction. In Montreal, the Quebecois, the, the people of Quebec, are the least religious people in all of North America. Interesting, huh? Uh, so now you had these big empty cathedrals that are now museums. Some have become restaurants. Some have become, you know, various stores. But it's like, what do you do with these big empty churches? Well, they've turned them into other things. And you're thinking, oh, that's what must have happened here. Don't think that. The people were religious, but they were also seekers of convenience. You see, at the Passover, you were supposed to bring your lamb to offer as a sacrifice to God. It's a lamb that you were supposed to keep for one whole year. You were supposed to raise it for an entire year. And now after you've taken care and invested, you're, you're offering this lamb as a sacrifice to God. But that's kind of a pain, right? Because you've got to feed the thing every day, and you've got to, like, wash it and take care of it, and you've got to shear the sheep as it's getting older. There's a lot of things to taking care of a sheep. And, you know, to be honest, I'm a busy person, and I don't think I should have to take care of a sheep. So here's the better way to do it. I could just buy my sheep at the temple when I get there, right? Okay, you're going to pay a marked-up price. I get it. I get it. But, you know, the convenience of it, the ease of it. And isn't that how we want religion to be today? Isn't that how we want faith with God to be today? Let me just, okay, <clears throat> I need to stop by and do my annual church thing. It'll be fine. I'll give God, what, okay, do I have to pay extra or something because I kind of miss most Sundays? Uh, you know, I haven't been around a while. I mean, can I just, can I just throw in something and, and that'll be, I'm, this is the time of the year that I get the student request like, I know you haven't seen me in a while. And I'm thinking like, you're in this class? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> um, now, could I just write a paper or something and get like special extra credit? And be, I call it the magic paper. Can I just write the magic paper that'll guarantee that I'll get an A or a B or something? Uh, we don't do magic. I don't do magic papers because uh, they're never any good and it's just extra work for me. And I'm thinking, you didn't do the work you were supposed to do. Why do I have to do extra? No magic papers. We want that. We just want to say, look, God, can I just... Jesus wasn't having that. Not in his father's house. People were called to know God, to experience Him. And here in this place that was the dedicated, what was called the court of the nations, where all the peoples from all nations could come and experience God, encounter God, pray to God, this house of prayer, they had turned it into a convenient mark so that people could stop by and pick up their Starbucks on their way to offering their, and buy their little sacrifice and make it nice and convenient and easy. Jesus was having none of that. 
none of that. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, while he was in Jerusalem with the Passover festival, many saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in his name. I'm wondering how in the world people can experience all that God has for them when church and his house has kind of become a convenience, lack of priority in our lives. One of the things that church leaders are wrestling with, I just got back from this conference and people are talking about over and over again, the, the biggest change in the last 20, 30 years of church is not the music style, though that's changed. It, it, it's not necessarily the, 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 the worship environment, so those have often changed. It's not just the preaching style, though those have modernized and contemporized. That's not the biggest change in church. What the biggest change in church, for those of you who've been part of church a long time, is that regular church attenders, people who were very involved in the congregation, would be there 45, 48 Sundays a year. You would be asked to teach Sunday school for a year. You, you, you would do discipleship training for, for 16 weeks, uh, a session type of thing. People would be in one place. But now our society has changed. We're more mobile. We move. We've got vacations. We've got events. We've got sporting things. We, our kids have sports, and, and they are, they're pulling at us from all directions. And the regular faithful church attender, person who's passionate about knowing God, one to two times a month is, is pretty good. It makes it really difficult for us to do church the way we've been doing it. Because it's hard to have Sunday school teachers that will be every there every week if you're only there once a month. It's very hard to have leaders of children's programs or youth programs. It, it's one of the things that's like, what do we do if zeal for God's house and the programs and those kinds of things are not priority? Okay, anybody want to bring up the big contradiction of this sermon? I see it. Didn't we just say we've got to prioritize family and family events? And yet, aren't we supposed to be prioritizing church events? Man, this is just like my regular life. Pastor McQueen's doing, Pastor Mike's doing the exact same thing. It's like all my school, all the students always complain about this, right? My one class tells me I got to prioritize that class. The other class tells me to prioritize their class. The other class tells me to prioritize that class. And my job, by the way, said to prioritize my job. And my parents say, oh, you better be here for family events. Everybody wants to be the priority. How do we do that? How do we do that? Let's look to Jesus as our model. He was at the family events when it was time to be at family events. He was at church and worship on the, on the feast days when it was time to be at there. He attended those things. We've got to be led by the Spirit to sometimes say no to the spiritual thing, to the church thing, because we're saying yes to the Spirit-led things that are with our family. And sometimes we even have to say no to our family things because we know that, hey, there's something that I've committed to that's actually a priority and we're teaching. It's not clear-cut. It's one of these things where you have to be led by the Spirit. We have to have God give me wisdom. Be wise in the way we love each other. In fact, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says that God will bring you wise, wise in your love so that you might discern what is best and be blameless and pure until he comes. Be wise in the way you love. Sometimes saying love is to say, family, I can't be there. Sometimes it's to say, love, okay, Lord, um, I, I need to be with my family and say no to maybe some of the things that the church is doing. Lord, help me be wise in balancing all of the responsibilities that you've given me. I think it's kind of tricky. 
But sometimes we've got to trust in God's grace. I had an Easter miracle. Now, there, there's one Easter miracle. You know what the one Easter miracle is, right? Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> that changed everything. Jesus has provided our salvation. That is the Easter miracle. Don't be mistaken. There are no others that are even come close. But I had one. It was one of those grace moments in my life. Some of you know and have figured out that sometimes I might take on more than I probably should. Anybody figuring that out? Sometimes I don't remember things. Like, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> whoops. Some of you have figured out that like, I'm doing too many jobs, too many things, and it, and, and, and it leaves me a little bit absent-minded. But there's one of those things that you're not supposed to forget. I made a phone call on Saturday right before Easter. This is my Easter miracle. I was talking to my mom. Hey, mom, how you doing? Good. Hope things are going well. And, and yeah, she's like, yeah, they're going well. She said, in fact, Vicki, my wife's parents, had come over to visit. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. You guys got together. They only live 10 miles apart. And Vicki's mother brought me a cake. Uh-oh. And then she said, because you know what day it is. Yes, I do. Absolutely. It is coming back to me like a flood. I mean, um, it was my mom's birthday. I was like, of course, mom. Why do you think I'm calling miraculously in the power of the Holy Spirit? Thank you, Jesus, for helping me not forget my mom's birthday. Because um, <clears throat> uh, I've done that before, and that was not a good thing. Um, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Can God help us meet all of the expectations? Yes. If it's a God-given responsibility... God can make all the pieces fit together. If it's from the Lord, it might be like, hey, one week I got to get a substitute over here to teach for me because I really need to be at this event for my grandkids. Or sometimes I've got to say, hey, grandkids, we can't be there because right now we love you and we believe in you, we care about you, but we've really got to be at this other event. One of my, one of my friends and, and mentors in college ministry, he reminded me talking to a young college student who, who gave up um, going to his basketball finals because he had to be at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting. And all the guys on his team, they lost in the finals, were so angry with him. He thought he was so proud of himself, and he was telling this Christian pastor leader, he's like, but I put God first, and I just told them, no, that God is my party. So I went to the Christian meeting instead of going to the finals. And the Christian mentor was like, I'm, I'm not sure you did the loving thing. Everybody at the Christian group knows you love the Lord, and the Lord knows you love the Lord. That night you had an opportunity to show your friends, your non-Christian friends, people that didn't know Jesus, that you love them and what's important in their lives is important to you too. Maybe you could have skipped the Christian meeting one night to actually say, look, I know this is an important game. I'm going to be there for you. God, give us wisdom in what to prioritize and when. God, help us know because it is about your glory, not about my comfort. It's about your glory, not about my preferences. It's about your kingdom coming both in my life and in the lives of this people of the church and about the lives of the people in my family. God, it's about your goodness and your greatness coming, not mine. We're called to be a disciple-making church in our worship and the time we use God's word, our witness, how can we be that? Well, here's the questions that we'll end with. Number one, are, are you present and available with family, friends, and community? Are you dealing with the problems that pop up, maybe even the sins of others? Are you revealing the heart and the glory through your words and your actions? Are you letting God use your time, that's really his time, to finish his work?